have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 John. 1 John, chapter number 1. Got a new one, but the print's too small, so who laughed at that? Shall we? <laughs> anyway, the book of 1 John. We're going to read the first 10 verses, if you'd stand with me. Chapter 1, starting verse number 1. It said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we can have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship as with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in the dark, we lie, and we do not know the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we bear not, if we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Ask yourself a question this morning. Why did I come to church today? Was it to be seen? Was it to see others? Was it just because it's the right thing to do? Was it to hear the songs? Was it to hear me preach? Apparently not, because we don't have any crowd. But if you came for those reasons this morning, and only those reasons, you come for the wrong reason. We come to church for one main reason, and that's to worship the Son of God. That's why they call it the worship service. See, you don't come to worship the singers. You don't come to worship the Sunday school teachers. You don't come to worship myself. Pastor Dylan, Brother Tom, or any other preachers. We come to worship Jesus Christ. And I believe that that's the problem in a lot of our churches today. We have forgotten what worship's all about. It's high time that we worship Him as we should. We should worship Him and praise Him for just being here this morning. We should worship and praise Him for our families, for our jobs, for everything we have. For without Him, what's the Bible say? We have nothing. We have nothing. And most importantly, we should praise him because he deserves it. For all he has done for us, for all he's going to do, and for what he has in store for us someday when we leave this walks of life. And it should, it should be enough to make us cry. It should be enough to make us raise our hands. It should be enough for us to shout, to laugh, to jump for joy, go hug a brother or sister's neck. We should want to lift our voices to him and sing. We should want to praise him because he deserves it. After all, you've got to stop and think about this. No one else could have ever done for us what he did. That's right. You know, even a small church like this, a huge church, or a mission field in a hut in the jungle 
no matter where you're at, you can still worship. It may be bad singing, it may be a bad sermon, we can still worship him. And it's time that you and I do our part in worshiping him this morning. Don't worry about what the person beside you might say. Maybe it'll just jump off on them too. That's not my sermon. So you've got to understand one thing about God. He never changes. What does the book of Hebrews says? It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just like he gave the three Hebrew boys the courage to stand before the king and not bow down, and even was with them in the fiery furnace, he'll give you that same courage. Just like he gave Daniel the faith when he was put in the lion's den, you can have that same faith. Just like he gave Samson the strength to pull down the columns, he can give you that strength too. And just like he gave Paul the courage and the faith and the strength to stand for him, he can give you that same strength to stand too. Again, it's not my sermon. My sermon this morning is, what is our message? What is our message? What it really is? What it's all about? John wrote the simple phrase in this verse 5. He said, then this is our message. See, John wrote, probably to me, the five greatest books in the Bible. They're all great. But he wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote John 1, 2, and 3. And he also wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote the Gospel of John first. And in these books, he teaches us three important things. In the book of the Gospel, he teaches us how to believe. He teaches us how to behave. And he teaches us how to behold. The 21 chapters in the Gospel of John teaches us to believe. 97 times the word believe is used in this book. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt what? Be saved. That is very important. John's Gospel teaches us how to believe. In 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, John teaches us how we are to behave. You have to know how to believe before you can learn how to behave. Until you are straight in your life, your behavior and conduct is not going to be what God wants it to be. Until you have figured out what you're supposed to do about believing, you're not going to understand how to behave. After John wrote these seven chapters on how to behave, he then wrote 22 chapters in the book of Revelation on what? How to behold. In the book of 1 John, which we are speaking out of today, we are given four reasons why he wrote the book. One says in verse number four, he said, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. He wants you and I to be happy. He wanted them to learn how to be happy. He wants us as Christian individuals to be happy. And the second reason was mentioned in chapter two, verses one, he said, These things I write unto you, that ye may not sin. See, the thing is, he wanted us to be happy, but he wanted us to do it in the right way. He wanted us to have happiness in our life, but also what? To try and be holy. And then it says, These things have I written to you concerning them that seduce you. He was telling the people of these days that there are people all around you that's going to try to pull you away from all the fundamentals you believe in. They're trying to get you off track. Many of them are out there trying to get you to take side roads. A lot of people out there are taking the gospel and diluting it this morning and not preaching the true gospel. They put all kinds of extras in that appeal to the flesh. And John wanted to warn these people about these certain things. Who do you think the most, uh, how do I say it? 
What do you call a dollar bill when it's not real? Counterfeit. Who do you think is the biggest counterfeiter out there? Satan. Who do you think the greatest artist in the world is? Satan. He can paint you a picture so beautiful that it just amazes you. But it's all counterfeit. It's all not true. See, John is saying that we need to produce happiness and promote holiness. And we need to do it in the right way. Then he said in chapter 5, verse 13, he said, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. See, he wrote this verse to proclaim hope. And the hope we have is eternal life. So this is the one message. This is why he wrote the books. He wanted all of us to learn how to walk in the Lord. He says, this is the message. He didn't say this is one of the messages. He didn't say this is several messages. He said this is the message. He says, this is the message which we have heard of him. Here is where we got it, and here is what we're going to do with it. See, it's very important that we learn where to get it in order that we might know what to do with it. If I get it in the wrong place, it's not going to do anyone any good. It says, the Apostle Paul said in the book of Corinthians, For I delivered unto you that which I also received. See, he was telling them what he received, and he was giving it to them. He's saying, I have given you which was given to me. And that's what we should do. We talked about that in Sunday school several times. We should be willing to share what God has given us. You know, it's important that we learn that simple approach. We get it, and then we give it. Then we get some more, and we give some more. We need to keep getting, and we need to keep giving. Keep on giving, and keep on getting. The Bible says, and Paul said in 2 Corinthians, For I have received of the Lord, which also I delivered unto you. And he received it, and he gave it, didn't he? What hast thou that, he says, What hast thou that thou didst not receive? He is asking you the simple question. What do you have that the Lord didn't give you? You say, well, the Lord didn't give me the job I got. Yes, he did. He allowed you to have it. The Lord didn't give me the family that I got. Yes, he did. He allowed you to have it. What do you have in your life that you really that you really don't owe to the Lord? You gotta be plugged in. You know, there's there's plenty of people that's trying to pretend like they're plugged in. If you take a piece of toast and put it in a toaster, if the toaster's not plugged in, you're not gonna get toast. There's a lot of preachers, a lot of teachers, a lot of church members that just go through the motions. But we have a message that we've heard and got it from God. We need to deliver it, we need to stand on it, and we need to declare it. So what is our message? Our message is not like Charles Darwin who said that everything came from a little amoeba and that we came from evolution. I tell you this, it would take more faith for me to believe in evolution than it does for me to believe in God. But that's, that's the way the world is. Wouldn't it be sad to believe that we owed everything to the government or some other person? and put God in second, third, or fourth place. We owe everything to God. You know, you read sometimes that in the very beginning of the Bible where it says in Genesis 1 and 1, it says five simple words. And I heard a preacher talk about this one time here in this very church. It says, in the beginning God. Amen. If you don't believe those five words is the first of the Bible, then the Bible means nothing. Mm -hmm. Because in the beginning was God. Well, what happens? They question that. They analyze it. They look at it in a test tube. They find everything they can to say it's not true. But the Bible says, in the beginning, God. Mm -hmm. That's as far as you need to go. Amen. 
My Bible says in Hebrews 11, 6, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. So if you don't believe in the beginning was God, there you go. And if they find anything, anything that they can turn it around. See, the people are always trying to prove, and we've talked about this before, people are always trying to prove the Bible to be false instead of trying to prove it correct. They're always trying to find fault in it instead of trying to find something positive in it. But the Bible puts it plain and simple. It says in Hebrews, He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those that seek him. That puts it plain and simple. Puts it plain. See, our message didn't come from Charles Darwin. Our message didn't come from Karl Marx. Our message came from God himself. Himself. The first thing our message should be this morning is that we have to realize that the scriptures are still reliable. The scriptures are still true. Every scripture from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 and 21 is all given by the inspiration of God. And the Bible said it's profitable. It's for reproof. It's for correction. It's for instruction. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. So the scriptures this morning are still reliable. They promised that Jesus would be born of a virgin, and he was. They promised that Jesus would die on a cross, and he did. Amen. They promised that he would pay for our sins. The Bible also promised that he would rise again, Amen. and he did. Amen. See, the scriptures promises that Jesus would do all these things, and he did. And the scriptures promise that if he did all these things, then he will come again Amen. to receive us. In um, 2 Peter, the Bible says, Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So one of our messages is that the scriptures are still reliable. And our second part is salvation is still by grace through faith. There's no other way to be saved. We talked about this before. Your good works won't do it. Your church attendance won't do it. Your money in the church offering plate will not do it. You are saved by grace through faith. What's it say in Ephesians? For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is what? It is the gift of God. See, God's given people a free gift. If somebody said to you, go over to Walmart this afternoon, they're giving away a free gift, I might just be there. It's free. But it's nothing compared to the gift that God has given us. Not even close. Paul recorded this verse, and Paul who wrote the verse, for inspiration, knew that he was saved. For he said, I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to what? To keep me, which I have committed unto him. He not only knew he was saved, but he knew when he was saved. For he said, what did he say to King Agrippa? He said, it was on my way to the road to Damascus when the light shined in my face, and I heard the voice of God saying, why persecutest thou me? He knew when he was saved. He knew where he was saved, for he told exactly where it was. And he knew how he was saved, for he wrote about it in all the books he wrote. He knew why he was saved. We all ought to know this. And Paul knew how long he was saved. He said, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul declared that salvation is by grace through faith. Our message also should be this morning that surrender is still necessary for service. You can't serve God until you surrender to God. 
You, God will not, see, here's the thing. God will not make you serve him. He's not going to put a harness around your neck and say, you're going to do this whether you like it or not. But see, he offers us the opportunity to serve him. Listen to what Paul says in Romans. Beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself bodies of living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. See, this is not an order for you to serve God. This is not something from some drill sergeant saying you have to. This is not from some denominational leader that says you have to. This is a plea from God himself who was so concerned and so burdened for us. For you see, what we give him, he accepts. And what he accepts, what he does, he cleanses it. And when he cleanses it, he fills it. And when he fills it, he uses it. And when he uses it, we are blessed. How many times have we tried to take a shortcut to get a blessing? Uh -huh. How many times have you wanted to find a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow when it was never there? By the time you get to the end of that rainbow, the rainbow's gone. Happiness is not discovered while we're searching for it. It's discovered on the pathway to duty and service to the Lord. See, I realized a long time ago, as probably many of you people have, you have to turn it over to God. You have to be willing to make sacrifices. He's not going to put a harness on you and says, okay, you're going this way. What does he say about that? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our message should be that service is still the pathway of joy. Would you like to have real happiness in your life? Joy, contentment, satisfaction, and joy? You will not find it in the pleasures of the world. You will not find it in the people. You will not find it in riches and prosperity. To have true happiness, you have to understand what he was saying in the book of John. He said, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy may be full. He's telling you plainly there. Serve me, you'll be joyful. You'll be happy. It doesn't say he was going to give you everything that your heart desires. We know that. But isn't it wonderful to have joy, true joy, to be able to show it in our church services, to be able to show it in fellowship with God's people? We don't have to. We get to. Think about that. I don't have to preach. I get to. You don't have to teach. You get to. That's the way we should look at it. It's an honor to be able to do these things for God. You know, I get, somebody might say, I get to drive the church bus. I get to give in the offering plate. I get to sing. We don't have to do it. We get to do it. And that's where our joy comes from. And finally, our message today is studying is still the source of knowledge. Knowledge just doesn't come falling out of the sky and land on your shoulder like a bird. What does Timothy say? It says, study. To show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. See, when Adam was born in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says he was created in God's own image. Adam knew everything. He knew the names of all the animals. He knew the names of all the flowers. He knew every tree. He knew everything without learning like you and I do today. Except one thing. He didn't know sin. Sin came along. See, when you and I are born, we're not born with an IQ of Einstein. We have to learn from day one on up. We must learn from a child to an adult. Knowledge just doesn't all of a sudden appear. 
We need to study just like we did in school. Someday we will know it all. But until that day comes, we're to study the Word of God. Study it as the source of knowledge that we need. And finally today, prayer is still the source of power. I mean, how many prayers have you seen answered in your life? Just you personally. All the thousands and thousands and thousands of prayers that are prayed every day. And it's still a source of power. It's your way to communicate with God. If you do little praying, you're going to have little power. If you're going to do much praying, you're going to have much power. It's simple. More power, more power. There's no shortcut to this. If you're not plugged in, you can go through all the motions, all you want, but it's just not going to happen. We as Christians, you and I, we should have a hunger and we should have a thirst to see things happen through the power of prayer. The Bible says we are to ask for what we will. In Luke chapter 11, verses 13, it says, If a son shall ask bread of you, of a father, will you give him a stone? Of course not. If he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? Of course not. If he asks for eggs, will you give him a scorpion? Of course not. But then he said, How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost Spirit to them that ask? He wants us to ask. God is a prayer-answering, prayer-seeking God. We need to spend more time asking God on our knees if we want to see results. Prayer is still the source of power. And the greatest thing that's left is soul winning, especially as preachers and teachers. Soul winning is our still our main concern. What does the Bible say under this? It says, go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In other words, every living thing. I listen to what it says in Proverbs. It says, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is what? Is wise. All he talked about was the fruit. He didn't mention the leaves or the blossoms, the fruit. We put a lot of accent on our buildings, and it's important. We put a lot of accent on our music, and it's great to listen to. We emphasize everything we have, but it's still our job as Christians to reach the lost. It all comes down to this. Jesus didn't come down from heaven to build buildings. He didn't come down to buy buses. He didn't come down to hire big staffs. He didn't come down to purchase equipment. What does the book of Luke say, 19 and 10? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Plain and simple. That's always been the emphasis of the word of the Lord. Let's go get them and get them saved. So then this should be our message. The scriptures, the holy word of God is still reliable. Salvation is still by grace through faith. Surrender is still necessary for service. And service is what? The pathway of joy. Study is still the source of knowledge and prayer is still the source of power. And soul winning is our main concern. So we need to always keep our message straight. That's all I have to say. Get us all 